Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, welcome to Tell Me Your Tales. Thanks for joining me. I'm so sorry I've been gone for two weeks. Um, that's the longest I've gone without putting out a show since we started 12 months ago, so I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, life got a bit busy. I went to Japan for a marathon one weekend and come back to normal life. And yeah, usually I go on holidays for two weeks after I run a marathon and I'm overseas, but this one was straight back to work as per usual and just got a bit busy and I had to... Um, yeah, not have an episode the last two weeks, which I'm a bit disappointed with, but I hope you guys understand this week's episode, this week's conversation is with Patrick Smith. Uh, I got him back on. His first episode about drug addiction is one of the most downloaded shows to date, and I did talk about um, getting back on for a part two at the end of the last time we had a conversation, and yeah, he's got some, got some good tales to tell about being in Ethiopia, training with Mo Farah coming back and uh, dominating run the bridge down at Hobart on the weekend he ran 30 minutes and 25 seconds off yeah pretty much 80 90 kilometer weeks so this guy is quite a talented athlete hope you enjoy this chat thanks to all the people that reached out to him afterwards um, from the last episode he kind of touches on that and how much support he got and I really appreciate that there's some listeners out there that yeah sent him an email and yeah thank you uh, for doing that. that that means a lot to him and to me so uh, yeah cheers for that guys Hope everything's well in your life. Enjoy this uh, conversation with Patrick Smith, and I promise, uh, hopefully, that there's never a two-week absence with Tell Me Your Tales again. Anyway, guys, enjoy this one. Cheers. Smith is back on Tell Me Your Tales. I said I'd get you back at the end of last time, and I've said that to uh, a stack of guests before, and it's never really happened, but stoked to have you back, mate. What's been going on? Thanks, mate. It's a reunion. Yeah, it's, um, it's good to be back on. Um, it's probably been two, two and a half months, I reckon. Yeah, I think um, so. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely before that um, summer school holiday break, we did the last one, and then, um, yeah, you've been to a few places around the world since then. I've been overseas since then, and uh, and you're running quite well. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been a really good two months. Um, so I just got back um, start of February from Ethiopia and a quick stint in, a stint in um in Singapore with my mate uh, Getasu. 
Um, so yeah, just got back and it's weird adjusting to, to normal life again, just um, going to work and that sort of thing after you've been on a, a holiday for um, you know 22 days. Yeah, and that's where we left you last time. I remember I said I was going to be down in Hobart running uh, at Cadbury and you said you were going over Ethiopia and I didn't know much about that. So uh, yeah, I was pretty keen to get you back on the show and kind of share that story with the listeners, but maybe kick it off. Why Ethiopia in the first place and what was the thinking behind it? Yeah, well, for me, I'd, I'd never been overseas, um, and obviously the last time we spoke about recovery and that sort of thing, and it was sort of something on my on my goals list to be able to travel overseas. And one of my close friends, um, Gedis, who's from Ethiopia, he was adopted when he was 11, um, and he's always wanted to go back. Um, and he started planning this trip, um, and I got really interested by it, and we sort of uh, had words to each other, and he's like, you know, you should come along, and and um, I sort of jumped on board and, and then started to say it and then all sort of just snowballed and then um, all of a sudden, um, yeah, we were off and we, we uh, travelled um, firstly to Addis, um, the capital, and then um, over to Bahada, which is about uh, 500 k's away and then it's sort of like a 30k trip from Bahada to his village and, and tracked down his family and it was, um, yeah, it was life-changing um, and, and extremely emotional for him. Yeah, so I guess... Um... Like, was Ethiopia somewhere you were thinking about going to in the first place or just because your mate was kind of going there, you jumped on board? Well, I'd always wanted to go, especially back when I was running, obviously, Ethiopia's, you know, sort of Ethiopia and Kenya are kind of like the hubs of international athletics. Those guys tend to clean up most medals. So it always been somewhere I'd wanted to um, wanted to visit for that side of things, um, you know, with running. Um, and then obviously because I was running again, it just sort of fitted well also um, with my recovery to sort of go there and, and help him and sort of see him, what he was doing there, and just so he wasn't, I guess, uh, alone. But then also I was able to run there, so I sort of ticked um, tick two boxes off, yeah. Yeah, and when you plan to go to Ethiopia, like, it's not like you, um, you know, you just jump online and book some flights and stuff and then book a massive hotel to stay in, I'm sure. Like, take me through the process of, yeah, how do you – you can't even fly directly into Ethiopia from Australia, could you? No, that's right. So we had a, we had a couple of choices, either uh, stop over in Dubai or Singapore, and it, it worked out um, just to go the Singapore route. So I think um, if we went to Dubai, it would have been like 14 hours there and then eight um, across to, um, to Addis, um, but we just ended up going to Singapore. So it was like nine hours to Singapore, eight hours to Ethiopia. Uh, obviously, had to organise visas and that sort of thing because, um, you know, even though he's from um, Ethiopia, he's considered an Australian um, resident once he was adopted. So organised those sort of things and, and trying to figure out, yeah, where we were going to stay just because um, he, his village is, is a small village and there's no real sort of hotels. So there's a little bit of organisation, but a lot a lot going in unknown as well. Um, we didn't actually book our hotel until we got there on the day, but it was, it was actually really easy. It's sort of um, it's funny how it all unfolded. We, we um Flew Singapore, trained Addis, um, we're three hours stop over before our domestic flight. Got to Bahada, um, a whole bunch of his family, cousins and uncles and um, relatives picked us up with flowers. It was really amazing. There was about 10 of them straight to a hotel. They're like, do you guys like it? Is it good enough for you? And it had two beds, a nice bathroom and a TV. So we're like, we're set. And it was like, I think it was like 20 US dollars a night. It was so cheap. We were sort of wondering, especially me, because I had saved a lot, um, you know, whether or not I'd be able to you know, afford this trip because it ended up being um, 22 days in total. Um, but it was just really easy, and, and he'd already organised with the translator, um, you know, to tell that we were coming on that day. And obviously, his family picked us up. So when we got to the village, we just drove in a couple lefts, a couple rights, and then his mum was waiting out the front. Like it was really, really strange. It wasn't like this big hunt or 
searching. It just sort of happened really quickly, and um, it was pretty amazing, really. Yeah, right. So I guess uh, what's that like as a bit of a bystander, seeing like two, or well, one family from two uh, different parts of the world come back together? Yeah, it was it was really emotional. I guess it sort of almost felt like a movie. Um, it was just you know, a lot of crying and, and, and a lot of dancing. Dancing's massive over there in the tribal dancing. I think I've uploaded a few videos on Instagram of, um, of how they boogie over there. So it was just, yeah, a lot of dancing, a lot of crying, um, yeah, just a lot of laughing and just just a really warm embrace. Like it was just a, a bit surreal really um, looking back on it, um, you know, then – just extended family as well that he hadn't seen a lot of young friends from when he was kids and um, a lot of his um, mother's friends that hadn't seen him since he was a young boy, obviously. So 10 years is, is a lot of time. Um, obviously, when he left, he was just a little boy and, and now he's a man. So um, just to see that, you know, for them to see that massive change in someone and for him to come back to the village um, after so long, um, yeah, it was really amazing to see. Yeah, that's awesome. And he does a bit of running too, doesn't he? Like, I think I've raced against him in Lonnie 10 or something like that before down in Tassie. Yeah, he, he was doing a fair bit um, a few years ago. I think now just um, he just finished uh, high school and he's uh, he's, he's actually just, um, just recently just moved to Queensland since um, since we got back. So he's doing an apprenticeship up there. So I think he said running at the moment for him is, is more of a hobby. He's not going to take it um, as seriously just because he's trying to get himself settled with a bit of work. But He's certainly a handy runner um, when he was competing. Yeah, and first impressions of Ethiopia, like you haven't been overseas before, you get off the plane. Um, yeah, what was it like? Yeah, certainly um, massive cultural shock. So I imagine the car situation is similar to some Asian countries, uh, like you know, like Bali, Indonesia, um, just not many traffic lights and just people going for it. So at first I thought we were going to die in the first five minutes. Yeah. It was just cars and, and motorbikes and, um, people going everywhere, so it was really, um, you know, sort of adrenaline rush because when we when we got to Addis, it's you know three and a half million people, so there's, um, you know, and that's you know um, just such a shock coming from I guess little little Launceston where we've got a population of like a hundred thousand or, or whatever we have, so um, it was just really amazing and um, just seeing you know, the different the different culture, even the things they wear and and what they're up to, you know, a lot of people. Um, you know, just doing odd, odd chores like, you know, picking up sticks and stuff to sell for firewood or, you know, standing by a stall probably, you know, for eight or ten hours just trying to sell, you know, shiro and, and things like that. But, um, you know, you just don't see in Australia. It was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, yeah. Yeah, and where'd running fit in? Like, obviously, um, you know, I saw some of the photos with you and Mo Farah over there and people go there for their altitude and the, the kind of group training effects. But, um, yeah, talk us through the running over there. Yeah, so it was actually it was actually pretty tough to run um, because we were in Bahada and we're travelling to his village every day. Um, it sort of I didn't really know the area too well, and a lot of the trails um, they sort of were hard to find. Like there's a few farms that sort of thing, but I tended to just to stick to the the road when I was running over there. So I'm not sure how good that was for the body, but I thought to myself, you know, for two weeks, you know, just get away with the road running because I went for a couple of trail runs and very rocky in comparison to what I'm used to and I rolled my ankle three or four times and ended up having a day off because my foot was sore so pretty much ran on the road just because I didn't know the area too well um, when we were out in Bahar and then when we came back to Addis for the last week we did go to Yaya Village which is um, you know it was owned by Harley Gebrselesi so for all the runners out there we, we know who he is and, and that was amazing but we were just there really quickly it was just sort of a, a bit of a visit to um, check out the view from um, Mountain Toto 
So I did I did a quick session on the track um, with actually some some ladies that are, are pretty handy runners, and, and then we were sort of off to around. I only did the one sort of proper training session, um, you know, in a athletics village. Everything else was just um, just me on the road on the pavement. So. Um, but obviously, after um, running on the weekend, it, it didn't seem to do me too much harm. So um, I'd definitely love to go back and, and just do just a running trip, yeah, um, yeah. so that I can sort of get get myself around a, a village and a trail and, and a bunch of other runners. Because I was just yeah running on my own in the, in the cities um, pretty much every day. So what was the altitude like when you were over there? Yeah, so I think um, resting altitude in Addis is about twenty five hundred. Bahada, where we were for 12 days, is 22. And then when we did the one day at Mountain Toto or um, Yaya Village, just 3,000. So certainly um, I noticed that when I first got there because um, we went straight to the to Gensar's village and just I was kicking a soccer ball with the kids and I chased after it as it went past me. I got a bit of a puff from the thought, oh, dear, it's hit me. Because um, I'd only done one set of altitude four years ago at Falls and that's, that's what, 1,600 metres. So... This is a, a bit higher, and as soon as I felt that um, little bit of pinch in the lungs, I thought, oh, I'm going to go get my shoes and go for a run. So I went out and did 50 minutes, and, yeah, you just noticed straight away, hey. So did you have, like, a heart rate monitor and stuff on to, like, keep track of that, or were you just monitoring your pace and just taking it super easy? Um, I didn't actually I didn't actually wear my heart rate monitor once. I took it with me, but, um, <laughs> oh, no, I just don't get into it. Don't get into the heart rate too much. I actually, I love my Garmin, but I ended up busting it in Singapore trying to surf at a theme park. So I've got no no Garmin, which is a bit disappointing. But I was just sort of checking out my pace and just making sure as long as I did uh, did below 4.30s on an easy run that you know, I'd be getting benefit without tiring myself out. Yeah, and the track you talked about, like I'm expecting maybe it wasn't like an all-weather track that has a massive fence around it and you need a swipe card to get into like the ones in Australia. What was the kind of setup there? No, that's it. Um, we rocked up to the village, and I'm sort of seeing all these guys, probably 10, 15 guys, and, you know, six to 10 women, they're all doing, um, you know, intervals on this dirt track that's, you know, it was spot on 400 metres, but I thought, oh, do we have to pay or anything because we're not staying in the village? And it was just, like, no sort of, I guess, guards or anything like that. So I just pretty much jumped straight out and just did, like, 3K warm-up and just jumped in and did 5K and did a warm-down. Um, and, yeah, there was no... You know, no one asking me to pay or to, you know, it was just like it was there. You know, it was just like, uh, I guess, probably how things are in Ethiopia for, for athletics that you know, if there's a track, it's sort of there for everyone to use. Um, a bit similar to um, uh, Meskul Square in the, in the heart of Addis, which is uh, where all the buses meet to, to take their, um, you know, tours all around Ethiopia. And there's this massive sort of winding, what feels like a staircase um, that people do like a long run or session along. and you know, there's no admission fee or anything. It's just um, it's just provided there for the people. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, and then afterwards, after my session, I um, walked past the the kitchen area where all the athletes that stay in there have um, have breakfast. And then just outside, I was like, oh, I swear that's Mo Farah. And I was like, no, nah, it couldn't be. And then I got closer, and it was. And I was like, oh shit. And so I grabbed Getty, and I was like, let's get a photo. Um, and I, so that was pretty amazing, just to finish off, um, you know, a hard training session to see. See the great man there. Yeah, would you have a chat to him? What were you talking about? Yeah, a little bit. He straight away, he's like, "Oh, you're from Australia," and I'm like, "Yeah." Um, and then he said, "Get it." So he's like, "Oh, you're from Australia as well." Obviously, um, you know, get it. He's dark skinned, and, and you know, to look at him, you'd think he's from Ethiopia. But he starts talking. He, you know, he sounds like a Vegemite sandwich. So um, I think Mo was a bit surprised for that, and I, I was in a, in a bit of awe to be honest, mate. I was like, oh, you know. You know, what's coming up for you? And I knew exactly that, you know, he's planning for, 
for London Marathon. Yeah. So it was a bit of a stupid question. Uh, but he was, he was having breakfast, just having a bit of the teller on toast. So I didn't want to bother him too much. So I didn't ask him much. I was just like, oh, can we get a photo quickly? And he, he was real nice. Like, we got a photo, the um, three of us, get a sue myself and our translator. I was like, oh, I'd rather get a selfie. He was like, yeah, no worries. And I faced the camera at me and it was just couldn't see anything. He's like, oh, the light's not too good, mate. We'll switch around. So he was really polite and um, you know, happy to take photos of people. So that was cool. Yeah, well, I guess over there he might get hassled, you know, a lot less than he would in the UK and stuff. So he probably actually enjoyed a couple of Australian accents, uh, having a bit of a chat to him for a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's probably he's probably missing a bit of the, the fan base because um, you know out, out there in that village, you're sort of in the middle of nowhere, you're sort of you know 25, 30 minutes from the city. Um, you know, I'm sure the training out there is great, but um, probably misses a bit of socialisation. So. Any chance Moe's listen to this? Come have a chat to me, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. Um, did uh, he give away any ideas about or well, any kind of uh, information about what kind of sessions or mileage or anything he's been doing? No, nothing at all. I probably should have asked more, but I, he looked pretty content when he was having breakfast, so we sort of disturbed him. Um, and as I said, yeah, the only sort of quick thing he said, I just asked him what he was training, you know, what, what the next event is. And I think I said that, like, oh, do you have a session a day or um, just an easy run? He said, no, just an easy run in the morning and a, a jog later. I think it was a Friday. Um, so, you know, I think I'm not sure a few of those guys do their sessions on different days over there. Like a, the general in Australia is, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And for myself, I do Wednesday, Saturday. But I think from what I've seen um, on a, a sweat mobile app, I saw a post on YouTube once. And I think Mo tends to do his sometimes like a Monday and a Friday or but I wasn't sure, but he, he said it was just an easy dog and he had the sandals on and was tucking in some toast. So didn't get a lot of conversation out of him, but he looked real relaxed. So Just um, hooking in yeah, a bit of him. Nutella on toast for Brecky. Yeah, with, the, with his group, with the mundane group. So, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be sure good to um, to actually do a session with those guys. Yeah. I'd, I'd be well off the back, obviously, but it would have been cool if I was actually on the track at the same time he was. Yeah, I've seen him, like, tagging and hashtagging that in, like, um, all his Instagram posts. What is it? It's just a group of guys that he's training with or, like, it's, yeah, it's yeah, kind of come out of nowhere? Well, I, I was catching up with Andy Allison, who um, no. I'm good mates with, and, and you've had him on the show quite a few times. I think the mundane group is the same group that, um, that trained Paul Radcliffe, so... I was talking to Andy about um, Mo and the group. We had a couple of conversations because I'm in awe of him. But then there's obviously that there's suspicion over you know a few missed drug tests and all that sort of thing. So me and Andy were getting a little not heated with each other, but I, I'm probably in denial because I see four Olympic gold medals and I'm like, oh, he's the king. But you probably got to look behind it. He might have it. Maybe there's a little bit of Lance Armstrong in him. Who knows? But um, yeah, I think the mundane groups just a um, you know. Yeah, I think Mardane's either the coach or the name of the group. I don't know myself, mate, but um, apparently Andy's told me since that he's the, uh, the former coach of Paul Radcliffe and obviously Mo's switched from Salazar and because he's, he's off the track now and training for the marathon, he'd be um, yeah, with a group that's probably doing a, a shit ton of mileage. Yeah, you need to have a few boys. I know just on Instagram he's always got a few boys hooking him through, like pacing through sessions and bikes and stuff like that, so you need a bit of a team. Uh, around you if you're trying to yeah bang out those kind of sessions and yeah get the goods at London if you uh, what two months time now yeah that's it so interesting to see, to see how it goes because that'll that'll be a debut for him won't it he's done a few half no he's um, ran the, he's ran that's... London before two oh seven yeah he ran a couple oh, of years ago yeah um, okay well yeah I wasn't aware of that I'm, I'm not up with it all mate so um 
Yeah. yeah, interesting to see how it goes this time around. Yeah, well, now well, I think um, back then it was kind of like testing the waters, like no real expectations because it's still not your main event, whereas now he's actually oh. finished up at the track and is, uh, yeah, the marathon is his game now. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes against those marathon boys. Yeah, yeah 207's a nice warm-up, isn't it, mate? Yeah, <laughs> the scary thing <laughs> like is he's still, he's still a mile behind, though. The other boys are four minutes in front of him. That's right, but if he's just testing the waters, you think that um, second time around and, and with some uh, marathon-specific training and, and that altitude and whatnot, you think uh, he'd be getting down a little bit lower than that uh, this time around. Yeah, for sure. Did you, uh, On the drugs point, did you see like any guys getting tested or anything over there? Any like drug testers present? No, not, not that I was aware of. Um, the village was pretty quiet, uh, apart from the guys out in the track, so I didn't sort of see anyone. Um, I've had a look on... Um, on Instagram last night, I think it showed Mo getting tested. I'm not sure if he's still in Ethiopia or, or not. I believe so with the with the photos he's been uploading. But he did upload something on on his Instagram story about getting tested last night. But uh, there were none none there when I was there, mate. They wouldn't be they wouldn't be anywhere near around me because I'm not uh, good enough to be getting tested. <laughs> oh, mate, tell you what, we'll get onto that next. So uh, yeah, you come back to Australia and you entered. Uh, run the bridge 10k down at Hobart, and you you banged out a 30 minute and 25 second 10k on a hilly course. I reckon uh, something's worked over there. Yeah, I was uh, a bit surprised because uh, I went over to Ethiopia and I was starting to run all right. I did a quarter session about 15:30 or something. I felt like I was moving well and and trained every day but two in Ethiopia. Um, once with the uh, ankle, and then one day I was a bit sick. I got gastro for two or three days, so I just I just couldn't run because I was on the toilet most of that day, and um, I was just really struggling. I remember um, did a couple of sessions that were all right, but I did um, the quarters there on the road, and like 16.40, 4.8, I was just like, oh, geez, I'm in trouble here. Like, I've come over here, and I've trained at high altitude, and you know, I'm not running too well. So I came back to Australia and I sort of had no pressure. I didn't even think I was going to um, going to race run the bridge. I just thought, oh, maybe I'm, you know, I need a bit more training under my belt. Um, and, yeah, I don't know, that attitude must have been delayed because um, I certainly didn't think I was in 30-30 shape and, and really surprised myself on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So how did the race pan out? Like, I just looking through the results. Like, it was pretty, considering nationals were on, it was still really deep. And it um, looked like there was some... Guys, pretty close to you. Did you have a good pack working through? Yeah, yeah, it was um, probably not as good as last year with you, mate. Uh, we we did a we did a good little uh, target just off the back of the group last year. It was you, me, and um, oh yeah, who else was it? Jack Rainer, Mr. Rainer, Jack Rainer's cousin, I think it is, is it or um, yeah, someone Rainer? There was a couple of us, but um, yeah, I think the field this year I was surprised because uh, originally I was sort of think, oh maybe. You know, if I run well, it could be a top five because there's nationals and there's not too many guys coming down. And then all of a sudden on Twitter, well, she's got four Japanese guys coming and Liam Adams, Joey Toad White, um, Dijon, um, Mitch Brown, um, Brad Milotovic. So all of a sudden the field's stacked. I'm thinking, geez, I'm going to be lucky to get a top 10 even on a good day. So I think my time um, last year would have sort of got me 15th, I think. Um, you know, 31 minutes would have got me 15th this year. So... The field was definitely stronger than last year. And, um, yeah, I sort of uh, just went out conservative and we ticked over the first game three minutes. I thought, oh, this is good. And then all of a sudden, I think it might have been lame, chucked in a surge and second K went through in 5.45. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here because that's just before Rosemary Hill. So I sort of I tucked myself off the back of the group. So I was on my own, really, until um, till the top of the bridge when um, Dave Thomas came past me. Um, and then just sort of stuck to Dave and was lucky enough we sort of worked with each other and, and called a few guys that had dropped off a group and um, 
yeah, I ended up sort of getting a bit of a second wind because I got to the top of the bridge and I thought, oh, I'm going to they're going to have to just jog it home or pull out because I was, I was really knackered from the hills. Um, and then we went past the cenotaph with, um, I think it was about 4K to go. I just, just got a second win. So I guess that's probably the attitude that um, got the fitness there and ended up running the last 4K in, in about 12 minutes, I think. So I was, I was pumped. Yeah, that's so solid. When I checked the results, like, yeah, your name just stood out straight away. Because just knowing how tough that course is as well. Um, yeah, and I was like, 30-25, like, yeah, you're fully back. Yeah, it was, um, it was really surprising. Uh, I think I've got to give a bit of a shout out to the, the Zoom Vaporfly. Um, I loved them. I pulled up really well from the race, so maybe um, that four percent was the shoes, and I was probably only in thirty-one minute shape. But um, yeah, really surprised and really sort of happy. I'm, I'm, you know, as we've spoken about, I'm usually pretty hard on myself and always wanted a little bit more. Um, but just as soon as I came across the line, I was just so content and sort of fired me up to. Um, you know, just to keep um, keep training and not over not overdo it, and, and hopefully that'll tick me along till um till my next proper 10k, which will probably be Lonnie, and um, hopefully there I can try and try and make 30 minutes for a good field. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking that as well. I've got to go under 30, and that's the that's the place to do it. So hopefully I can just tack on to you for uh for as long as possible, and we can go under together that day. Yeah, well, uh, we'll zoom play, vapor fly together, mate. That'd be good because <laughs> you're in, are you. I think you. Would you run on the track? You were 30, 30, 20? 30, 30. There you go. So, I mean, you're, you're already in practice, yeah, mate. I didn't so, even um, have the vapor should... flies on. I had spikes on. I made the wrong decision, I think. Oh, yeah, I've heard, uh, I think Joshy Harris was telling me, um, I, should, I should know, the gentleman that does the podcast with me, it's yeah, got the Bruce, running company in Ballarat. Yeah. There you go. He, wore, he wears them for everything Josh said. So, um, you know, I, I hadn't tried them um, when you know, I sort of first had researched in them and, after wearing them, I think I might wear them on the track, man. I'll probably, I'll probably run 1,500 PB in them. Yeah, well, he's going to wear them for a 5K next week at Melbourne Uni, and he thinks he's, yeah, kind of in 14-15, 14-10 shape. So, uh, yeah, if he runs, oh, runs well in them over that shorter distance, it's I suppose when you do reps in them, though, they're just, I don't know, it feels like you run at three-minute pace, but you run at 255, 250 pace. That's a feel that I kind of uh, get out of him. But was that the first time you wore yeah. them in a race? Yeah, it was. So I actually, um, I sort of, I guess, guided, guided or, or trained by Kim Gallard. I'm, I'm pretty stoked on Kim, but I just put a bit of effort into me at the time. And, you know, I've been on and off with my running, but I tend to always give him a text a week out from a race just for a taper. And, um, I was down there and I stayed at his house, um, Friday, Saturday night. And he had a pair at the shop. And I was like, oh, Kimbo, what do you think? And he goes, oh, I've heard good things about him. So I ended up just picking up a pair the day beforehand and, um, went for a 20 minute, Jog with a few strides, and I don't know. I just felt like I was on a rocking horse. Like, I just felt like it sort of just you know you sit forward in them, and you just get you know that you can feel that energy return. And yeah, I just felt um, just felt light and spongy, and that I don't know they're not the, the lightest racing foot out there, but I just just felt easy to pick the feet up in them. Um, so yeah, one month in them, and I'm I'm pumped. I'll uh, I won't be wearing uh, you know another racing foot for quite a while. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. The listeners will be starting to get annoyed, though, because every week on our other podcast, we pretty much talk about these <laughs> shoes for like 10 minutes a week, so uh, we better change topic. But yeah, they're, uh, they're a good shoe, and I think the same thing. I think when you yeah, they're not light, and they don't feel amazing when you've got them on, but you just seem to run well in them. Like, that sponginess just seems to just pop you up. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, it's, all, it's almost cheating, I reckon, mate. They'll probably get banned in the coming years if um if we keep talking about them too much. All these PBs will be scrapped. We'll be all back to like slower, <laughs> slower guys, and yeah, it won't be ratified anymore. Hey, that's good. You're back working with Kim and stuff a bit, though. 
Yeah, yeah. So he's um he's sort of trained me on and off since um since I first started athletics when I was about um sixteen, seventeen and um you know, he he, he sort of prescribes all of these sort of monotype sessions and minute on, minute off and you know, like four or five reps of five minutes uh, in on grass and, and just sort of these sort of tough sort of sessions that, you know, you don't give yourself you know, if you do give yourself a rest it's you know, it's just one or two minutes or it's you know, it's a float. Um and I found that in the past, I was probably you know, I was doing like six by a K off a minute, which is great, you know. But now I'm doing you know six by three minutes with a two minute float instead of having that you know that walk recovery. You know, I'm jogging. I think that certainly helped my fitness because it. You know, I was never able to make 30 minutes. You know, and and then this time around, sort of just changing a few of those sessions, and um, it's just it's brought the fitness up, I reckon. And um, I think yeah, I'll try and continue just doing some of those um, those uh, you know sessions that you know it's not um not about how fast you're going whether it's you know 255 pace or 305 but just not allowing yourself to have that um that walk recovery just keeping on the jog or keeping on the flight yeah a guy i work with um do his program the same thing we kind of change that like i think your body just starts getting used to having that one minute or it doesn't even we're doing 3k reps and it'd have three minutes off but then we kind of get to doing you know eight or nine or 10k tempos and it kind of just brings you undone because your body's looking for a rest after one or two or three k, depending on what your reps are used to. So I think there's yeah, there's a stack in that having the float recoveries and then doing the reps a bit slower to equate for that. Yeah, definitely. I was speaking to Josh about it. I know he did a lot of that sort of stuff, obviously before he trained for the Mara and also while training for the Mara. And yeah, he he agreed. And um, I just felt for me, I, a lot of my sessions were sort of never more than twenty minutes, and I'd do a ten k and sort of get the six seven k, and I'd, I'd pop sort of a bit like on the bridge last year, whereas. This time around, I sort of actually felt buggered after the two hills and got to the top of the bridge and then got to 6K and I actually felt strong. I felt better the last 4K than I did the first four. So I think I'm definitely um, endorsing it now and just sort of not worrying about, you know, with my K reps, whether they're 255s or 305s. I did like 10 by a minute on, minute off um, week before the race and got no Garmin, but I know a K marker and I floated through um, in about 310 and that's with the flight. I feel like you start to start to look forward to the float obviously because you drop off that pace and you sort of build this fitness that when you get the float you're able to then rebound and get back into the effort and you, you know you tough out the effort you come back to that float and the float starts to feel like a walk starts to feel easy um i think that's where the fitness comes on and that's like when you get to a race and you're feeling that same feeling and you almost start putting the pressure on the guys around you knowing that you don't need to have a have a little rest at the top of a hill you can kind of run straight over it and yeah it's a good way well, it's a good skill to have when you're racing as well yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it certainly paid dividends, um, you know, because that, that last little pinch um, on Sundays, yeah, on, on the run of the bridge, you go up back a battery point for you know, maybe two or 300 metres. And last year, I was sort of, oh, I was on the close to walking because you sort of run past the finish line and go up and around and sort of, you know, it really hurts you. Um, and this year, it just like it went really quick. And then you get the downhill and I actually, um, I think I pipped one or two guys coming down that finish shoot. I just felt like I had a little bit extra, so... It's either the shoes or the training or, or a bit of luck. Yeah, so good, mate. And what, you touched on Launceston 10, but you'll have another race before that? Yeah, I'll have a look. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of runs um, in Lonnie before that. So I think there's Run Denport and um, I think uh, City Casino. Um, so City Casino 11K, so that's probably a good test. That's in May. I'm not not too sure if Lonnie 10's June or July, but uh, either or, they're probably two, the two next events that I'll sort of work out um and yeah just be good to have a gear obviously last year sort of threw in the towel after after run devonport last year so this year just just get through it and hopefully 
in a run similar to the time I did at, at Run the Bridge. It might be a bit harder because there won't be as many top athletes in it. It'll probably just be me and, and one of my good mates, Dylan Evans, he'll probably be doing it. Um, so, yeah, sort of um, get myself through that. And I just look forward to all the, you know, the sort of major fun runs like, like Monty 10 and Bernie 10. And, you know, if I'm running well enough, I'm not sure what the, the qualifying time for that pack is, but... I've always um, wanted to do a 10k on the track. I've never probably trained hard enough or had the sort of mental, um, you know, mindset to be able to tough it out. But if I can get myself under sub 30, I hope that that would qualify me for Zatapak and and then sort of turn my attention to trying to run a fast 10k and you know maybe um, go under 30 minutes. I reckon you're nearly in there, mate. 30:25. I uh, when I ran Zatapak a couple of years ago, it used to be 30:30. I think they've tightened it up since, but. There's a lot of guys that have similar PBs that seem to get a start every year. So um, if that's the worst run that you've got next to your name, I think it's uh, going to be doing good stuff to give you, get your start. Oh, but that'd be that'd be great. I know, um, you know, a lot of Tassie guys have gone over there, and that's you know worth for Josh got his PB. Um, I think Dougie and, and Dylan. I'm not sure if they scraped under the 30 minutes um, last year, but obviously Dijon ran um, 29 minutes um, higher. So you know, if you want to break. 10k on the track um, Zatapak seems to be the place to do it so I'd love to love to get a start mate yeah it's probably the only like that Steigen one's a good meet and uh, yeah you win that in sub 30 but um, anywhere else in Australia it's pretty hard to find a 10k that goes under 30 minutes yeah perfect well uh, yeah I'd love to sort of turn my 10 I think that's what I've missed I've missed sort of travelling in the state and doing those sort of races where there's not you know a lot of pressure on you because you know there's so many top athletes running that you know a lot of these guys that are around that 30 minute mark are just they're going in there to run PBs and just get on the train you know it's not tactical it's just about running fast times and, and that's what we need because we don't get a lot of that in Tassie you sort of you do an club and, and most of us sort of guys that, that sort of take running pretty seriously we just go out there and time trial it on our own so for us to get an opportunity to, to jump in with 10 or 15 other guys that are going to run a similar time at just it just amps you up and you sort of make a weekend of it um and you sort of really you know i guess i think you can start to train specifically for it um you know months out it sort of keeps you motivated knowing you've got that that sort of for us major event in the back of your head yeah and you just get sucked along i've been there as well it's just get on the back of a train and just hang on for as long as possible and the cage just seem to uh just go by so quick but um you touched on it before i guess like this song last year you were in a pretty similar situation, like a ripping run at Run the Bridge as well, kind of 31 minutes dead, and, you know, this year 35 seconds, but you'd be pretty confident in saying, like, the the road to recovery is uh, a bit smoother, hopefully, going forward for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I just feel a lot more ease within myself. Even last year, I was sort of, you know, critical on sort of every training session, or if, you know, I did a run and I stopped five minutes early because I was a bit tired, or I sort of just didn't feel like doing you know, an hour and I stopped at 55 minutes. I'm sort of like thinking about it for the next week of oh, why didn't I do it? And just, um, yeah, maybe it's maturity or, or just the fact that I'm, I'm you know, probably the, the cleanest I've been since I was 19, you know, in all forms of, of drugs and alcohol. So I just feel a lot more at ease and, and no pressure on myself. Um, I'm only out there to run for myself now, whereas before it was, I was targeting events thinking I've got to win it. Um, whereas, you know, I, I didn't get first tally this year. There were a couple of guys ahead of me um no but that didn't matter to me it was more the fact that i ran the pb for myself so um yeah hopefully i continue with that sort of mindset um and i think it's only gonna i'm only gonna you know run better from it um you know as i already seem to have oh, i haven't been training a lot when i was in ethiopia i was only doing 90k weeks i think i peaked at 105 um and since i've been back 
because uh, I had the Garmin, I'm sort of guessing most of the, the ones I've done. I sort of had a rough idea of where they are. So I think last week I did, I knocked up 110, which is great. Um, sorry, not last week, week before. Um, and then, yeah, so just just a lot less pressure on myself, mate. Um, and just after run the boost, it's just given me a lot of confidence thinking that, you know, if I'm only doing 90 to 100k weeks, if I can get myself up to doing 120, 130, that the times are hopefully going to drop. Um, you know, but if I don't, I think I'm just in a, a better uh, mental mindset to be able to handle it and, and just keep uh, looking more at the positive than the negative. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? Like 90k weeks, 100k weeks, and you're running, yeah, low 30 minutes. Like genetically, we probably spoke about this last time, and I know I've had a chat with Andy Allison about this as well. Like, yeah, genetically, you're ready to go. You just got to put the the months together, the weeks, the months, and then just go bang. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was saying to I speak about Josh a lot because I, I love Josh and I hate that he's uh, he's out injured. So um, fingers crossed that uh, we can get this foot fight for him because I, I love training with him. He's, he's you know in my opinion the best training partner I've had because you just you know every session what you can get from him and I really missed having him um, alongside me. And um, I spoke to him and I said you know like I just need to get a year under my belt. You know I sort of kept saying it to him. But, it never actually happened. Like I've never had a year of just full proper training, and um, you know I've, I've been clean, um, you know, since late September, and I started training, um, I think late October, uh, November, and I just really want to get myself around in November this year, um, which would probably be about a month before Zatapak, and you know, and then you start to look at guys like um, Stuart McSwain, and I'm not putting myself in the same um, same basket as him because he's a freak. But I had a chat to him, and he said, you know. He's built his mileage over three or four years. And I, you know, for me, it, everything was about instant gratification. It was like, what can I do in three months or six months? It was never having the attitude to be able to stick it out for 12. Um, you know, so for me, if I think if I can get 12 months, I feel like, you know, I could maybe run 29.45. If I can get two years, you know, maybe I can run low 29. And if I can get three, who knows, maybe I could call myself a, you know, 28 minute, you know, 10K runner. Um, and I've just never, had the, um, the right approach to be able to do that, whereas, um, you know, this time around, I think um, it's finally come together and just really looking forward to, um, you know, be a part of the running scene again. It's something that, you know, I've always loved, but I've, I've never been consistent, you know, around it and just going to Hobart on the weekend and catching up with some friends and people that I run with and just, um, you just get that sort of running vibe as you do at those sort of big events and, you know, you sort of chat about what you're going to do in the future and what races you're targeting and, you know, hopefully that's that's my form of drug now is um you know is running um the right way. Yeah, and I love how you kind of touched on like making a weekend out of it and going to events and and um yeah Brad and I the other guy on the podcast on the inside running stuff he races very rarely and we've kind of had conversations off air before about like I need a race every two or three weeks to give me you know the kind of reason to get out of bed and kind of give me a reward for the training I put in and stuff whereas he's very content in just knuckling down training hard and and not racing for three or four months or five months and yeah it's an interesting thing um yeah that question about how often you race yeah i i I tend to lean more towards you mate even for me if it's just a park run because i find you know even if i do a park run you know i mean i think myself josh and dylan i got the three fastest times so you know i haven't done one for a little while but i'd be looking to do one in the coming weeks i reckon just you know sort of you get to Thursday, you know, maybe you have an ice bath, maybe you stretch a little more just because it keeps you on your toes because you want to put in a good run. Um, you know, whereas if you don't race for a little while, I find I tend to slack off with those one percenters with the bathing or the stretching or you know, a bit of yoga or even what I eat. You know, you might have a second helping of the uh, the vegan cheesecake or something. You know, when you're not, you know, but when you when you're racing, you know, I noticed myself. Um, 
you can't be too hard on yourself, but you know, sometimes I feel like I tend to overeat. You wouldn't think so looking at me, but um, you know, coming into Sunday race, I sort of I ate enough, but I used to used to smash like porridge in the morning, and I had a chat to Andy the night before. He's like, I like you got enough glycogen stored up to run 90 minutes to just have a banana and a coffee. I ended up having one piece of toast, but I did find that I felt a bit lighter. So I think just even those things, and, and you know, you do these fun runs, um, you can start to experiment with your food and nutrition and, you know, maybe having, you know, one coffee or no coffee. And it just sort of, for me, um, racing a little bit more just um, keeps me in the sport a bit, um, you know, because it just tends to help me prepare a bit more and keep my mind on the job. Yeah, and that's like the that's the exciting bit as well, like going to a race and getting nervous and, you know, panicking you're not going to get to the toilet in time before the gun goes off and just having all that stuff that you can't control um, out of your control and just, yeah, I think you're... Yeah, it's just a good kind of thing to have, you know, once a month or something like that. And, yeah, I think that's why. I train so I can be a part of those races and stuff, and it's a pretty exciting uh, thing to do. But back on to you, mate. So, uh, like, the recovery, it's all been smooth. Did you get some good feedback after our last chat and stuff? Like, you got any uh, new yeah. people in your corner? Yeah, well, I mean, I got, got a ton of support, obviously. Um, a couple of things that you posted me that people have commented on the podcast and um, even just um, just down Hobart on the weekend, you know, quite a few of the, the top guys came up to me and sort of said they heard the podcast, they're in the corner, and if you need to chat, you know, and just, um, you know, obviously the content that I was talking about, you know, software stuff that I was doing, but they were saying the way I spoke and admitting it and all that sort of stuff was really positive. So, like, I know Kev Bat was sort of saying that he – you know, he loved it and it was, you know, one of the best podcasts, he, you know, he'd, he'd heard. And just to me, I guess someone that you know, probably got into drugs through feeling bad about myself, it just made, made me feel good and think, you know, hey, I've, you know, I know I've stuffed up and, you know, um, you know, but I've sort of, I guess, you know, admitted it to people and it just sort of makes you sort of feel like, hey, I'm doing the right thing. And, and yeah, just definitely got a lot more people on the corner or just that, even really more so, it's just the weight off your shoulders, you know, yeah. sort of. You know, I guess it, I imagine someone, um, you know, if they're gay, you know, they've been hiding it for ages and ages and they finally come out and say it, it's sort of that way off the shoulders. And for me, you know, I guess if quite a few people probably knew that I was off track. They probably didn't know why. And so then to just come out and say, hey, like I've got this, this problem, um, you know, and, and just put it out there, I guess, um, just like a weight off my shoulders and I don't have to sort of walk around with my head down anymore. Yeah, it was a funny one because I kind of um... – you know, listen back and we added the, we missed a bit, so we added that back in and it kind of sat on it for a week and, and I was a bit apprehensive about putting it out there as well because it was so different to the um, the rest of the kind of, you know, not boring running content or anything like that, but just, yeah, it was kind of a new direction for the podcast to go in and then, yeah, I was kind of a bit nervous when it went out to the world and then all of a sudden, like, you know, one positive email comes in and another one and um, I didn't think it'd be everyone's cup of tea and I was expecting, you know, a, a few interesting emails to come in. But um, everything was so positive and people have come up to me in person and said, you know, thanks for that or I listened to that with my kid and, um, yeah, it's like one of the most downloaded shows to date. Like, so you really you really smashed it at this end. Oh, maybe it was, it was all it was your positive questions, mate. You didn't know what you were doing. But um, no, I can understand, obviously, yourself working at the school and, you know, you're, you're a pretty high-profile athlete yourself, so I can understand, um, you know, and it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's not good content as far as what I was doing, but I guess we're probably living in a day and age where you can speak out about your problem a bit more um, and people are, you know, a lot more positive towards, you know, whether it's bullying or depression or, you know, even, I guess, now drug addiction or had a, a segment with, um, you know, Brian Lyons, another Tasmanian, um, you know, with um, alcohol abuse or alcoholism. And I think we've just got, 
um, a little bit more acceptance and awareness. Um, people understand, I guess, that speaking about it is only going to help. Um, we know that covering things up, you know, keep something to yourself and it's just going to eat away at you. So I was really surprised by the positive feedback. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of messages, um, you know, I had some family members listen to it and they were really positive about it. And obviously um, the messages you sent through to me and just um, just random people. I had a guy, I think he was from America, I've got no idea who he is. He could have been a spam bot on Instagram for all I know, but a comment that's saying, just listen to it now, amazing story, you know, and just things like that. You know, you don't know these people. Um, it just shows, I guess, that, you know, everyone needs, I think to be successful in life, you need someone to love and support you. Everyone needs someone. You sort of can't do it alone. Um, so to get that sort of kind of feedback, um, you know, this episode probably, you know, what I was doing, as I've said numerous times, was wrong, but it was such an out there topic that, you know, I guess that's sort of uh, out in the open now. So it's probably might find this episode a little bit boring now that I've just got my life together. But, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer to keep it that way. Um, so, um, yeah, just, just exactly with the feedback, mate. Yeah, yeah, that no, was an interesting one. And I think it's all, like, when you talk to people who have lived in different worlds, it's quite interesting. Like, I'm never going to, you know, experience or hopefully never going to experience that kind of world myself. And it's out there and you don't know it. Or you know it's out there, but you don't know any details about it, even if you are walking past at Southern Cross Station and you're, you're unaware. But to give people an hour's content about, yeah, that's what that world is, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, when I was growing up, I was brought, home, brought up in, a, you know, an extremely good household. My parents are so supportive, you know, the, the, the most supportive people I've met. I've, I've met other people that went through the same problem as me and they were, you know, they were kicked out of home. Their parents didn't want to talk to them again and nothing like that for me. My parents have always been so loving and acceptful. And, you know, I've, I've met people that had a worse situation than me. You know, they lost their parents when they're 14 or 15 and got caught up in weed, which then led to, you know, ice and other drugs. And, so I see people that are caught up in that sort of lifestyle now. And for me, because I've been there, you know, I don't feel like I judge. And I can understand why some people judge. But, you know, when you look behind the reasons, I met, you know, the two guys I was living with, one lost his mum when he was 14 through cancer and another one came home. He worked a shift at Woolworths and his mum had passed away. He didn't have any other immediate family. You know, and they turned to drugs to deal with those problems. Um, I think a lot of people would do that and, you know, you get on these drugs for three or four years, your life spirals out of control, and you know, then these people are, you know, maybe they're you know, stealing from cars or they're, you know, robbing or they're, you know, they're selling drugs. You know, so for me, um, obviously the actions they're doing are really bad, but they're not bad people. Um, so for me, you know, I'd love to get myself to a point where I could maybe go talk in schools or even, you know, find people that are, are struggling and, and see if I can get them to progress to hopefully where I'm going to stay and where I'm at now because it, it takes a lot of support to get someone rehabilitated. You can't do it on your own. It's very rarely do any um, people get off drugs with, with no support or get off drugs while they're homeless or while they're jobless um, because, it, yeah, it's sort of 24-7 job for the first sort of, you know, three or four months. Um, so I've found for me personally that I don't judge people that I see that are involved in that um, as far as like they're a bad person or they're a criminal, cause, you know, a lot of them get mixed up because they've had, you know, really poor or hard situations to deal with and drugs just become the, um, the coping mechanism because they haven't got people to, to turn to behind that. Yeah, and I think, you know, your one as well, like coming from a supportive family and, you know, good at sport and all those kind of things, but 
hearing about the self-esteem stuff and that instant gratification like they're also the triggers that some people might not realize in a you know 17 or 25 or 22 year old person like they're just people yeah you know they're there but you're not sure that that's going to lead to um a life with addiction yeah exactly i mean uh, you know i've read the thing that you know, it says addiction doesn't choose you know rich or poor big or small fat or thin you know you see people that get, um you know addicted you know they can be you know, I've seen, I've heard stories. The policemen get addicted to ice, doctors, um, ambulance drivers. You know, it's not just you know, sort of poor people that are brought up in you know low economic standards or, or anything like that. Addiction sort of doesn't um, doesn't discriminate. Um, and so I guess that's why, for me, I like I like the idea of you know certainly people that are dealing drugs and that are uh, buying mass quantities to sell and whatnot, lock them up. But people that, that get sort of I guess caught. Being a user, you know, there needs to be a lot more resource put into rehabilitation. And rehabilitation is like, it's a really awful thing for the person that's helping re- rehabilitate because you're going to get let down, people are going to relapse, or they're going to be, you know, because I, mean, I imagine most people have a poor look on drug addicts just because they're, they're really annoying people to be around, to be honest. They're, they're lazy, they're grumpy, they're, you know, they're, um, they make, you know, stupid, rash decisions and they, they relapse. It's, you know, it's a horrible thing, but. You know, when you do put the time in, um, you know, I've noticed myself just how much my behaviour has changed in this last six months, even just the clarity in my, in my mindset and, um, you know, to, to sort of not have that daily burden on your shoulder. Um, it is really worth it to, um, to help people that are struggling with that disease and to try and rehabilitate rather than just lock them up, I think, because if you, know, you put them back in jail and they're just going to get out and they've got nowhere to go other than back to where they started, so it just becomes a bit of a cycle. So, yeah, um you know, I feel very passionately about um, trying to help people that have gone through the same thing as me because I know what it's like and I know that there can be a positive outcome if, um, if it's chosen, yeah. Oh, stoked for you, mate. Imagine you rolling into a school of uh, year 11 and 12, like getting a mic in front of you. You dominate that. We need people like you doing that stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. I mean, I think try and get myself to a year clean. I think, yeah, yeah. You know, not, not get to a better ourselves too early. Yeah. That's right. Um, so, you know, in the coming years, I, you know, I think that's something, and, and, you know, for my own recovery, it's good to, to sort of hash over the things I've done and the experience I've been because you sort of go from this part where, you know, you were homeless to now, you know, got a job and, you know, you're running well and, you know, you're winning fun runs or whatever and you tend to forget where you've been. So by talking about it, it does sort of bring you back to, hey, like, you know, I did do these things. I do need to watch myself. Um, and yeah, it just sort of keeps you on guard. Who do you get that kind of... You know when you get those endorphins post-race, like, is that a bit dangerous for you? You've just gone out, you're around 30, 25 off, not a huge amount of training and probably start feeling a bit invincible, but is that almost a, you know, do you up the support at that time so you you don't go out and have a beer or, you know, message someone um, you shouldn't no, or, like, what happens then? Uh, actually, for the opposite this year, like, I actually, um, uh, for me, I've been careful I don't have too much coffee because now that I'm, I'm so clean that... The body's pretty good, and I put like you know a couple of cups of coffee in, in the stomach, and I was I, I sort of have like like a few guys do. We have sort of like two days off coffee before you race. So you have one race morning. It sort of gets you up and about. And I did sort of feel really energetic um, race morning just from having a cup of coffee at the Gillards. Um, had a bit of a joke to Jenny. Like I usually have it like an hour before, and she's like, "Oh, probably an hour and a half. You don't get a stitch." Sort of joking around. I had it at six, and we hopped in the car at quarter past, and like I felt like I'd actually had some sort of stimulant other than coffee it really got me out and about so I had to be careful before the race to be honest but afterwards I just I was just ecstatic and I just thought to myself like you know this is better than drugs you know this endorphin that I know isn't going to wear off 
um, as far as, you know, straight away within an hour or so and I'm going to have to pay to get, you know, this feeling yeah. again, this, feel, this feeling sort of carried on to this week and I hope it's going to carry on to the next race and then the next race. It, just, it was just, you know, it was a real um, off and it was a real high. All these other highs I had in the past has been synthetic and, it, you know, they're, they're not real. They sort of um, make you feel worse when you come down and, and this, this one, um, so I'm really happy with that feeling. This one sort of made me feel... Um, you know, just um, attitude. You know, you, when you when you get into drugs, you sort of get to a point where you can't get high. You don't get that you know high feeling because you're addicted. Um, whereas this time around, just sort of yeah, feel that nice, warm, cozy feeling, mate. So yeah. hopefully, um, well, yeah, there's something so, in that. That's the meditation. Like it's yeah, your brain chemicals do react when you actually express your gratitude for things. So it's um, it's funny you brought that up. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I try and get that uh, that runner high a bit more. Yeah, awesome, mate. Love your work. What uh, you have you talked about? What races are coming up? Still working at the cafe and stuff. What else is happening in the world of Paddy Smith? Yeah, no, some work at the cafe. I'm put, not a lot of tennis work for me this term. So I'm a bit disappointed because I, I love my tennis coaching, but I took over for a gentleman that um, hurt his leg last year on uh, on a scooter. So he's um, he's back up and firing, which is which is good for him. But um, I'm not getting as much tennis work, so. I'm still at the cafe, but I've also potentially got an opportunity to work at a local sports store with a, a gentleman that I've known for quite a few years. So that might be good as well just to, to balance out and get a bit of that running aspect again because um, anyone knows me knows I love my shoes and I'm, I'm a bit of a shoe salesman. So I um, might look at that opportunity as well and just continue to sort of balance the work running mm-hmm. lifestyle and you know, try not to work. Uh, obviously, I've got to work a little bit more than what I was working because um, – you know, life isn't cheap as you know, mate, but I don't want to be sort of banging out 50, 60 hours where I can't run either. So just about getting that balance so that I can try and fit, you know, starting to get up to two runs, you know, three or four times a week. So um, just mixing the work-life balance. Yeah, love your work, mate. Um, Rightio, well, keep those four percenters in the box and then get them out the night before Launceston 10. I'll do the same thing with mine. I've I got a brand new pair before I went no, to Nobioka last week and did the 42K in them and then I've, I've re-boxed them. And, um, yeah, we'll put them back on at Launceston 10. We'll see if we can go break 30 minutes together. I look forward to it, mate. Thanks very much. Well done on your matter, by the way. We had a good chat before the recording was on and, as you said, you, you cruised it and you didn't get into the red zone. So if you're doing 221 on your own to a headwind, you're a, you're a 278 man in a big pack with a tailwind on a good day. Oh, yeah, well, no, I've got to do it first. That's probably what frustrated me the, <laughs> the most. Like I know the effort was there and the time doesn't reflect the effort, but I'm still being very, yeah, very content and respecting the marathon. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to the next one, not being scared about that wall. I think I've, yeah, figured that out a bit with nutrition now and, and looking forward to What about you? Are you going to step up and do a marathon someday soon? No, not, not <laughs> someday soon. Um, I'm thinking about maybe doing Point to Pinnacle this year, which is the half uphill, um, but I've never raced more than 10K, so probably probably the marathon's a few years away. I, I remember talking to Kim and he had another athlete that he coached. He said, yeah, don't, don't do a marathon until you break 30 minutes for 10K, and obviously, I mean, you're at 30, 10, so you're pretty much there. So for me... I want to wait until you know I get under thirty minutes and maybe sort of get under sixty six or a half or something before I look at doing a doing a marathon. Yeah, I, I don't know forty two forty two k just seems like um, seems like hell to me, mate. So yeah, quite a few years away. Yeah. Like my thirtieth, and just get that consistency in the body. Like I think if you're going to tackle the marathon stuff too, you needed to string the the months and years together to be able to stay unbroken while you prepare for one. Yeah, that's it, mate. I'd probably, although no, me, I'd probably go out and run 2.30 and then I probably would never run one again. So. Like, no one knew you'd probably yeah, go out and run 2.13 off 100k weeks. That's what you'd do. You're a bigger chance of doing that. <laughs> no, don't, 
Not about a two-third mate. Um, no, it's definitely, definitely uh, a well way away, I reckon. Ah, if there's one thing for sure, I think the future's uh, bright for Paddy Smith. And, yeah, thanks again for coming on for the second time, mate. I've uh, had a ball talking to you again. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. And um, good luck with your recovery. And I uh, hope I'll see you at Lonnie. Yeah, yeah we'll be there. We've got, we've got a promise to uphold there. Sub 30, 29.59. We'll go out and do it. No worries, mate. Beautiful. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, mate. Bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 